Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with legendary jazz saxophonist Azar Lawrence. His first professional gigs came abroad when he was 17 years old with Clark Terry and Muddy Waters. From there, he would become a sideman to McCoy Tyner, Miles Davis, Freddie Hubbard, and Woody Shaw, and he learned quite a bit. And ultimately, he grew up in a very prolific era of transcendence in jazz that to this day has stood the ultimate test of time. And so is he. His latest 2018 CD, Elementals, is charting very well and ties together all the incredible music milestones of his career. And there is so much more to do. And he has plenty to say about all of it. So get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Again, good morning, and hey, thank you. It's an honor to speak with you. Thanks for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it. Oh, man, I appreciate the opportunity, too, as well. How do you feel about Elementals? It, it's doing really well. It's, again, another great sound. How do you feel about this album? I feel really strong about it. I, I mean, you know, the, none of the albums I've done, I don't throw them together, but there is an element of, artistry coming with what I mean by that is that uh, I go ahead and, and uh, meditate on the concept uh, comes to meditation a lot of times and, and I feel that we hit the target with this uh, musically and, and conceptually I mean it's an elusive thing when we say the target but uh, the goal being to produce uh, a music that is uplifting you know let me go back to the beginning of your life here. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Los Angeles, California, and raised in Los Angeles. What was it like growing up in L.A.? What was your childhood like, and how did you get involved with jazz? Uh, childhood was just fabulous. Uh, fabulous parents, uh, rest in peace, uh, rest their souls. They really were dedicated. My mother, uh, being a, a pianist herself uh, and a school teacher, but she also taught piano, but uh, uh, she wanted one of her two children to be uh, uh, a musician. She wasn't able to fully uh, pursue it as a career, which she wanted to, but her uh, college university professor told her, you know, in, uh, she was from Oklahoma, that uh, he was going to fail her if she decided to pursue that, you know. Uh, you know, being an achiever as she was, she you know, uh, doubled down and, uh, you know, got her master's and uh, on that kind of stuff. So she was a sixth grade uh, school teacher and uh, taught uh, lessons in the evening. And, uh, you know, my father uh, was so strong in terms of his entrepreneurship, shall I say, you know, he, and uh, so dedicated as a father. Uh, any instrument or whatever I needed, you know, or whatever we needed, he could provide it. So it was uh, uh, actually a blessing to uh, have come up with in this family, the full support musically. And to the, get to the jazz, it was like, you know, I played, uh, I was in the USC Junior Orchestra at five years old. My brother was 10, we both played in, in the, uh, uh, played violin at that time. And I was in the USC Junior Orchestra. From there, uh, about eight years old, uh, you know, we were fortunate to have a, a pool and live up in a place called Baldwin Hills, which was, uh, and is elite, but it was very elite at the time. Uh, we were one of about three black families in the whole area. You know, a lot of my friends uh, were surfers, 
and the we surfed. My brother, uh, you know, was a, uh, is a surfer, was a surfer, and and um, he's five years older than me. Uh, the thing is, though, I used to have to hang out. He was burdened with hanging out with me all the time. So, so of course, I surfed as well, more so body surfing than uh, board surfing. But what happened is. Uh, my father had a friend who used to come by and uh, play his flute as he laid by the pool. And one day he brought an household saxophone. And when he, I heard him play that, and I said, oh, that's it. Uh, because I was getting older and my voice was, voice was dropping and I was hearing something a little deeper than the violin. And uh, I thought about, well, maybe I'll go to the viola or, or cello. But then, of course, you know... Uh, I just didn't hear it, but when I heard the alto saxophone, I, you know, uh, my father quickly got in his saxophone, and I started on alto, and from there it progressed uh, to one day I uh, was kind of guided to try the tenor saxophone, which I did, and, and uh, but along the way, in the last uh, year of high school, I started performing with the uh, Horace Tapscott big band, orchestra, and but I was playing baritone saxophone and I stood next to Arthur Blythe and Horace Tapscott and, uh, you know, some really great guys in there. So that was through that uh, connection to the Horace Tapscott Orchestra that opened up a, a whole community of jazz players here in Los Angeles. Uh, I met Reggie Golson, Benny Golson's son, and uh, he and I became best friends, and he would take me to his house, and uh, I was able to speak with uh, Benny Golson, I mean, almost daily. And also, Reggie had a very extensive uh, musical library, which that's all we did is listen, and he he really uh, enriched my uh, appreciation and knowledge of music through this large catalog of uh, LPs, vinyl at the time, that he would play, for, you know, and tell me, explain who it was. And, and I, well, you know, and then also my mother was a big jazz fan herself. Uh, when we were just really small, uh, she was, I, I remember John Coltrane and my favorite things when it hit the radio. She had, you know, the jazz station on all the time. That's how I kind of became, uh, developed an appreciation of it. And from there, uh, it was through Reggie Golson that I met Elvin Jones. Elvin invited me to uh, a rehearsal. When he was playing out in Los Angeles at the Lighthouse, um, when I went to the rehearsal, I, I think uh, it must have been that Dave Liebman had left Elvin's uh, quartet, which included uh, Gene Perla on bass, uh, Steve Wilson on saxophone, of course, Elvin, Dave Liebman at the time, and I played a couple of songs with him, and afterwards Elvin said, you're with me, aren't you? Uh, I have a plane ticket for you, so, uh, you know, uh, I was just 19, and uh, so I lived with Elvin and Keiko, his wife, for about two and a half years as we performed, and from there... Uh, you know, I went with McCoy Tyner. Uh, Alphonse Muzan, rest his soul, rest his peace, uh, came down uh, to the Village Vanguard to hear Elvin. He told me, he said, this man, uh, man, I think you're the sound that we need for the, uh, uh, you know, for the group. The next weekend, or uh, the next week, they were playing at the Village Vanguard. 
and he invited me to come by. Went by there, and uh, McCoy knew all about it. And I guess he had spoken with him, and he asked me to, if I wanted to play and sit in. I said, yeah. And then afterwards, he he said he was really excited. He got my telephone number, and the next day, I got a call from McCoy, and he said, man, would you want to join the group? I said, oh, most certainly, because uh, musically, I mean, I loved Elvin, and Elvin was just such a phenomenon. Just the, the the peak experiences of playing with Elvin Jones, there's no words to even uh, speak of it because he played, his playing was uh, uh, an orchestra of sounds and you could hear the melodic, you know, depictions of music through his rhythms and tonalities that he, the way he tuned his drums and this whole concept. So you could hear the harmonic value even in his rhythmic uh, performances, whereas uh, once I became acquainted with McCoy Tyner, it was the same concept, is that the hammers of the piano were the were the drums that he was playing, and of course the strings, the melodic, you know, amplifications. So anyway, I joined McCoy, and the uh, first album we did was the Enlightenment uh, Suite, which was... Uh, down in uh, Montreal, Switzerland, and uh, it was interesting. Uh, after I was offered a record deal with Fantasy Records, uh, McCoy Tyner himself was on uh, one of the uh, subdivision labels, which was Milestones, and I was offered, uh, you know, a, a deal, and which I took, and was happy uh, to get a chance to record some of my compositions. And so my first album, uh, entitled Bridge into the New Age, was uh, just re-released last year by Concord Records, who has now assumed uh, the, the catalog from uh, Fantasy. You know, uh, so Bridge into the New Age, which had uh, featured Woody Shaw on trumpet, uh, Billy Hart um, on drums, you know, Gene Carn. Uh, vocals and a whole cast of uh, great individuals. So uh, I, you know, I did two other albums for them, and uh, actually an unreleased album that uh, that featured Elvin Jones, Ron Carter, and Albert Bailey. Yeah, you know, that's how I got I got uh, started there. Beautiful. Yeah. So from the beginning, you've all obviously been destined for music. Were you nervous in the beginning, or did you know this was going to be your life? This was what your life was going to be. Changes, though. Well, no, initially, uh, it's interesting. I did not even take any uh, classes in in uh, high school of music except for performing arts, uh, performing a performance band uh, called Jazz Workshop you know, which was so helpful and so wonderful. Dr. Simpson was our uh, teacher, and he had played with uh, Tommy Dorsey in that band, and he had such knowledge, and the way he uh, passed it on to us was just really phenomenal. You know, uh, but I I thought I was going to be either some type of... Uh, I had a science major, even into college, which I went only two... I went two years to college, but I, I, I maintained a science major, and I thought I was going to be a doctor something of that nature. And, uh, yeah, it was interesting. I guess in the long run, uh, the trig- trigonometry and 
calculus and all that helped me try to decipher some of these uh, musical, uh, geometrical uh, combinations. So during this time that you were coming into your own and learning from masters like Alvin and McCoy and Miles Davis and cats like that, did you know that you were in this fertile ground of jazz, that there was so much going on around you that was going to influence literally generations forever from here on out? Well, I didn't know the uh, projection of how it was going to influence everyone, but I mean, it was thus definitely a blessing to be immersed into that time period where everyone, like you said, the masters were uh, there and present, and I was immersed in, uh, you know, in school with them. I mean, I, 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 you know, I mean, how many people can really say that they've played with McCoy Tyner five and a half years, Elvin, and uh, three years, I mean, lived with, and uh, and Miles Davis and recorded. I mean, the beautiful thing was, you know, I was able to record with them. It's not just hearsay, you know, it's, it was, it, the recordings speak for themselves. Uh, Woody Shaw was on, uh, uh, on my album initially, but then, uh, he called me to play on his Moon Train album, which became a, a very significant project as well. But yeah, it was, uh, definitely a highlight, uh, full of peak experiences. Musical, musical experiences, like I said, with some of the people that have made jazz what it what it is. I mean, you know, those names I just spoke of, Miles Davis. I learned so much from Miles and, and McCoy. I mean, every night with McCoy for five and a half years, I just heard uh, God coming to, an, you know, being expressed through the soul of, of an individual on uh, through this uh, instrument. You know, oh boy. Uh, I never got, I was too young to hear John Coltrane live. I asked McCoy one time, I said, man, how can you play with me a saxophonist of my level after playing with John Coltrane? And he said, well, I, I think you and John felt the same way about music. So uh, yeah. and it was just such a high compliment. And I think we do and did feel the same way about music because uh, li I listened to John a lot with Reggie, but I, you know, I never picked my instrument up and, and tried to mimic him, you know, to play what he played, play his solos or anything of that nature, so it just kind of came naturally. This is how I hear it. I hear it, you know, but I, I you know, and some of the textures and, and scales and modes and stuff, of course, uh, from playing with McCoy, I kind of got it honestly <laughs> from, you know. Yeah. Have you always been comfortable being compared to Coltrane? Has that been something that you've just been okay with? It's not much uh, higher honor than that. I, I take it as a compliment, uh, an honor. I mean, you know, because again, like I said, it's just, you know, something that uh, came to me through birth, I mean, from birth, and I feel like there's a royal family, and I feel like I'm part of it. You know, Absolutely. And I am part of it. You know, I am part of it. I mean, after, you know, living with Elvin Jones for two and a half years, three years. And, uh, you know, actually I went back with him, uh, after, uh, McCoy for a minute and, uh, after the Miles Davis, uh, stint. And, you know, I mean, I also touched on, uh, things with Earth, Wind and Fire. I uh, wrote three songs on their Pylite album. Uh, Maurice White, a fabulous, uh, not only composer and a producer and uh, artist, but um, a jazz drummer himself. 
from uh, uh, Ramsey Lewis Orchestra, you know, band or orchestra. We had a great connection, he and I as well. And it was interesting that because once uh, he and I connected, uh, I was already writing. I was doing things with Chuck Jackson and, and uh, Patrice Banks, who's better known as Chocolate from Grand Central Station. And we had a writing team, the three of us, and uh, I was known for the strong musical tracks. I would put the tracks together. They would come by and grab them, and Chuck was doing a lot of producing during that time. You know, I I even had the uh, great honor of uh, having four songs on the Stanley Turn team. I think it's Coming Home uh, album, or Going Home uh, album. And uh, also was honored to play piano on on the songs that... uh, that they chose uh, that I had written. So uh, we did uh, Irene Carr, Ren Woods. We did several uh, major artists at the time. You know, how it brings to today is that all those years of of cultivation and uh, fertilization uh, from the experiences of being uh, and playing with the names, you know, some of the names that I've mentioned and it's been 45 years uh, at that level. I'm proud of, I'm proud to say. And Elementals, the album uh, Elementals is a combination and expression of all of those experiences. The great musicians, you know, Benito Gonzalez on piano, uh, Jeff Littleton on bass, uh, Marvin Smitty Smith on drums, uh, Greg Poire on uh, a guitar, Orrin Waters. Uh, you know, sang on uh, African chant, you know, Manyungo Jackson and uh, Mayuto Carrera were the percussionists, uh, you know, great uh, cast. I can tell you personally that it would get much better than that. Yeah, you know, without so. a doubt. I, I kind of wanted to piggyback off Elementals and ask, you know, that, that it's kind of a culmination of all of these legends that you've played with over the years. And my question is this. You've been around so many legendary players, and this is something that a lot of people don't get to experience in a lifetime, from Miles Davis to Freddie Hubbard, Woody Shaw, McCoy Tyner. My question is this. The world's always going to have a perception of who these people are, even who you are. And, you know, they've made movies about Miles. There's been all these biopics and all these things. But you you were in the cauldron of that scene. And my question is this. What, what is something that's similar with all of these guys? What, what, what is it about these guys that made them so historically spectacular and have made such a wave that no one will ever forget what they did on this planet? Uh, you know, their greatness was stamped through time spent. And development, and then also the gifts that uh, you know that they were born with. These guys were uh, gifted. Each one of them were gifted, and uh, and had spent hours developing their craft. And then also during that time, well, what's different now is that we would go uh, even with Elvin and McCoy, Miles. I mean, it was nothing to. Uh, say that uh, we travel on Monday, Tuesday through Sunday we would be performing somewhere, two sets a night, sometimes three sets a night, and then we travel on Monday and go and do it all over again, back to back to back all year, uh, maybe with a month off, 
you know, uh, at the most. That's all we, uh, I think one time, you know, a couple of times we had six weeks off after just, you know, uh, three months on. And that was twice a year to Europe, uh, once a year to Japan, Canada, and the United States every year, you know, just back to back to back to back to back. And that is a great way to, you know, become who you are. I mean, you know, doing what you do, uh, you know, every night and, you know, having the opportunity to put into actualization, you know, the, the theories and the concepts and and to develop your inner concepts, you know, what you're hearing, become yourself, you know, musically. And, you know, back then, uh, those guys uh, had the opportunities and we all had the opportunities to do that, you know, in the battle, in the heat of battle, so to speak, every night. You know, I mean, yeah. hey, instruments breaking down. And if you could, you know, some of those Don Coltrane albums, you could hear, especially the live ones, you could hear the the fight that, you know, obviously McCoy would win with those pianos he was playing, some of those pianos. And uh, most of the time we had good ones, but a couple of times we ran into some pianos that, uh, that McCoy sounded great each time. No matter what he was playing, he sounded great. And, yeah, uh, that kind of thing, you know, of that time period, uh, I was blessed. I feel so fortunate to have experienced that because that's uh, six nights a week, one day off. Uh, I don't see that. I mean, that's not uh, at your at best. You know, if you have four nights, you know, that's, you know, a good thing. You know, I've been fortunate to experience four nights, you know, uh, but the six nights, is uh, special, but uh, you know, I'm grateful for everything because uh, you know I was blessed to have come through that period of development. And uh, man, it was a great period. Absolutely, you know, and and it's very evident talking to you and just seeing how your life has unfolded that things have gone pretty well. So my question is this: What else do you want to do? Are there players that you want to play with? Are there albums that you want to make? Regions of the world you want to go to? What do you want to do? Definitely have some new concepts, new groups uh, to form. Uh, right now, I'm, uh, uh, you know, my group is called the Azar Lawrence Experience, and uh, I've expanded it uh, to a seven-piece group. I have a vocalist, percussionist, and uh, then on top of the, my quintet, you know, uh, usually either uh, trombone or trumpet. Uh, Steve Therese has been playing quite a bit with uh, with me. Uh, he and I met on the moon train, uh, Woody Shaw Project, and uh, have been friends ever since. Uh, some great pianists have, uh, uh, ha- are playing with me from, uh, time to time, you know, uh, so the, the Azar Lawrence experience is, it's hard to put into words. We're playing music of elementals and a combination of that and bridge into the new age. Uh, some of the music from, uh, the seventies, which, uh, is actually sounds very fresh right now and new and it is new. A lot of people that are, are, are of age and are listening have never heard that music. And so we're playing some of that music and, uh, with, uh, excitement and glee, shall I say. You know, we're so happy to do it. And, uh, only because I said, like I said, it's, it's, 
I don't know, the seems like the energies have come around to where it's fresh now. You know, that music is fresh that those albums I recorded then have become fresh. Uh, but not only that, uh, well, they were fresh then, but the music is fresh now. I feel good playing it, but I have some new concepts. Uh, I have uh, a new group that uh, of mine that it's called Electric Guitar. You know, uh, I'm working with some of the uh, modern concepts, uh, uh, modern technology, you know, that's offered today, uh, electronics. So, you know, I was a rock and roll, you know, I've played with uh, uh, some of the rock group uh, Boston guys, and we had projects, Fran Shin and Barry Goodrow, Sidney, uh, the drummer who I think has passed on, bless his soul, but then guys from Fog Hat and uh, uh, the Jay Giles Band, and there was a, we'd have a, a history of rock and roll uh, once uh, every year where we'd play a concert at the Swamp Scott, Massachusetts uh, High School where Francine and Barry Goodrow uh, went to school so they'd give back there and guys from Stones, uh, all those uh, uh, rock legends would come and play with us for two, two hours straight. Then the next day we'd go down to a place called the China Club uh, in uh, New York and, uh, you know, Paul Schaefer from David Letterman, uh, he would come and play with, you know, Elliot Rando. So at any rate, though, but before that, uh, even before I went with Elvin Jones, I was with the uh, Watch on Your Third Street Band and uh, the uh, Charles Wright and his Express Yourself hit and uh, also with Eric Burton from The Animals as he formed a group called War. I was on the very ground floor of that before Elvin swooped me up and took me out. <laughs> but, uh, yes, so the Electric Czar concept is one of the new, uh, the, the next albums I'm doing. Cool. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you this. You you come from a world, you're, you're kind of in a unique position in the historical timeline of jazz, of, of seeing all these legends. But like you said, you're developing new concepts. So my question is this. How important is it for us as curators of the jazz story to keep this torch burning as brightly as possible, from the kids that are in college now to cats like you and to anybody in the compendium of jazz to keep this story going and making it as strong as ever. Yeah, it's so important because uh, a lot of the message, historical message that has been passed down through music, Louis Armstrong and Charlie Parker and you know, uh, you know, press and, and people that are just, you know, from the horn player standpoint, you know, on through the pianists, you know, that, uh, the legendary pianists, people that have dedicated their lives are actually passing a message to us of dedication and, uh, upliftment in terms of how proficient they have become artistry wise. You know, that itself is a message. In other words, be great at whatever you do. Be the best at whatever you do. And you can do that, but it takes time and dedication and, and focus. You know, it's like a lot of people, everybody has great ideas, but there, it's the people that hold one idea and expound on it that, you know, become so-called great at what they do. And uh so... This this music has been carrying a message through time and uh, of people's sufferings and people's uh, uh, you know uh, happiness and joys as well. 
uh, you know, our music, the Azar Lawrence Experience music, and uh, the music that I choose to do, the messages of upliftment, spiritual uh, upliftment, uh, thinking, you know, uh, get off the bottom rung, uh, think, you know, high thinking, you know, let's do the best we can. Let's get out of the gutter. Let's stay, you know, let's, let's think about how we can move humanity forward. How can we uplift and, uh, and, and help each other and, and be good to our brothers and sisters and uplift them and, and move that whole community concept forward, you know, and that's how elementals, the word elementals, uh, is actually speaking about the nature spirits that govern each one of the four elements and giving us a, a tribute to them um, that invisibly to our eyes uh, do their work that keeps that going, which actually has so much to do with how our life is maintained. <laughs> try that out. Let's try it without rain for a while. We'll see how that works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amen. Um, let me ask you very simply. You've given so much to jazz. Why do you love jazz? Well, I love all kind of music. I, you know, I'm remembering that I'm a classical violinist at bass. You know, I mean, it was a symphony. The, the uh, USC University of Southern California Junior Orchestra it was a symphony. You know, and so from I have an appreciation for music. And but then there's music out of Africa that as uh I have an affinity for and uh that's what you know, I think I shared with McCoy and Alvin and be listening to their playing and John Coltrane through those individuals I just named the uh, names. But let's call it jazz. Through the jazz idiom uh, I can express this Afro, you know, concept that has been passed down through uh generations through, uh, you know, my heritage, speak, you know, to the masses in that manner through the through those tools that I've been given, it's been that I can decipher, you know, through my connection with this Afro-American experience, you know, that I'm living. Let me let me ask you this: Everyone has a version of you, your family, your friends, your fans, but you know yourself best. So who do you think you are? Oh, I know I am. I'm Azar, uh, the uh, philosophical, uh, but in actual uh, movement and practice of spiritual concepts, healthy living concepts, upliftment of oneself, knowing to uh, ultimately know thyself, you know, that's who Azar is, uh, through music, you know, uplifting humanity the best he can, or uh, consciously endeavoring to help uh, all of us with the vibratory emission of, uh, you know, this music on a higher vibratory level each and every time that we do it. We try to keep the, keep the uh, music uplifting, and when it touches us, the goosebumps, you know, you, 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 it, it tickles your atoms and, and, and you're better when you're finished and you feel better and you are better, you know, and, and it's just like, uh, people that stop and think about 
what my last album, The Seeker, means. And, you know, each one, each and every one of us is a seeker of knowledge and truth, and we live in a manner to which uh, allows us to discover who we are. And then after we do make that discovery, then we have to live who, 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 what we find. We have to live now who we are once we make the discovery of who we are. And uh, those kind of concepts, uh, you know, and the elementals concepts, some people were, you know, say, well, it's not elemental. It's not the elements. It's elementals. It's speaking of the personage, you know, an elemental, you know, the elementals. And, you know, start to, uh, you know, think about that and, uh, you know, scratch their heads and say, well, let me uh, pick up a book and, and see if I or Google that and see what that comes up as and and do some investigation and, you know, see how that concept plays out and how that works with the music in, 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 in an upliftment type of fashion. Does that, how does that impact us? The, you know, the concept of elementals. How does that work with us? How do the nature spirits, their rapport with us when we hear music that brings, uh, you know, goosebumps to us? What does that mean? And does that, you know, is that because the music has lifted our beings to a level that we can have a brief rapport with higher element, you know, uh, uh, evolved uh, entities that invisibly come close to us and uh, help uplift us. You know, those type of concepts, not to get too philosophical and too deep, but that type of inspiration to uh, motivate people to dig a little deeper uh, beneath the surface and see what's going on under there. <laughs> I dig it. That's the way it's all That's the way it's all I dig it. And I think you've spread a lot of good on this planet through your message and your music. Azar, thank you for taking some time out. It's been an honor to speak with you today. It's been my honor too, brother. And uh, thank you. And thanks for keeping uh, this music moving forward. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Los Angeles, New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Azar for his time, his music, and his prolific stature in jazz. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time... Enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.